Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Road Show. Counting down to the draft, trying to keep up with the pro days, anonymous reports about players, and um, some pretty big news. The 17-game season, which is now official, approved by the owners on Tuesday, and then some ownership news that seems kind of big to me. We've got a report in the LA Times on Monday about the Chargers' finances and a family dispute and a potentially looming sale of the team. All right, so the long and short of it is this. Dean Spanos, who is the controlling owner of the Chargers, is one of four children who actually own equal shares. And his sister, whose name, interestingly, is Dia, like Dean, but without the N. Anyway, she has filed a petition in L.A. court alleging that the family trust, which owns 36% of the team, is hemorrhaging money and can no longer afford to remain invested in the team. And she wants the court to essentially force Dean and her other two brothers to sell the trust's shares of the team so that they can get back in the black financially. As for right now, she says they are very much in the red, like $353 million worth, according to court documents. That's how much she says that they owe in debt and expenses, $353 million. And apparently they've been arguing about this for a while within their family. They've gone through mediation that didn't work. She produced a letter that he wrote the siblings back in 2019 promising to look for a new owner at the end of the 2024 season. But she doesn't want to wait. She says that they're borrowing from one bank to pay another bank. She says that Dean's only plan is hope. And she wants the court to intervene and force the sale. And she even names a potential sale partner, not in a way that indicates that they've had talks or anything. But the documents suggest that Jeff Bezos from Amazon would be somebody that they could potentially sell to, seeing as how he has an interest in buying a team and obviously he has the cash to do it. So Dean Spanos released a statement in response with his three other siblings who seemed to be on his side. The statement says that the Chargers are his family's most important legacy and that they will buy out his sister if necessary. Now, I'm not sure how they would buy him out if they already have this much debt, but that's what he contends. And he also says, and I guess that this part is most important to Chargers fans probably, that operations of the Chargers would be unaffected by all of this. So I have lots of questions here. And Sam Farmer, the outstanding NFL writer from the LA Times, has been kind enough to make some time on a crazy day to come on and try and answer some of them. So let's break the huddle. Sam, first of all, thank you so much. I really appreciate your availability here at the last minute. Um, my first question to you has to do with the contention by Dean Spanos that this whole thing is not going to affect the Chargers operations because frankly, I'm wondering how that's possible. Um, it, does the day-to-day money come from some other place? I assume that it comes from the Spanos's pockets and if they're running low in the money department, I don't know how he can make that contention. Yeah. The, the value of the Chargers is not in question. Intrinsic value of, of the Chargers, if you were to sell them. But you do wonder about the day-to-day money if you're to believe what's in the filing and that the family trust is $380 million in the hole and and hemorrhaging money at a rate of $11 million a year, and so much so that they uh, have not they have no plan to pay off the $22 million in charitable pledges that they've already committed to. Um, you, they don't you really, have a plan or they just don't have money to do that? right now 
according to the filing, they not only do they not have the money, but they also don't have a plan of how how they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And the plan is is hope if, again if you're going right. to believe the filing. Um, and so you wonder how that wouldn't affect the day to day. A running of the Chargers, and this is a massive distraction too, and a family infighting among four kids. And you got to remember that Dean and Dia, who is has filed this uh, this petition, uh, were appointed co-trustees of the Spanos Family Trust. And so, this is not some outlier who uh, has no say in the family, what the family does. It's somebody that the parents entrusted as a trustee. So there's that issue. And there's also the issue of this letter, which is included in the filing um, from November of 2019. Mm. Interestingly, it, it was written or dated three days after, if you remember the the, uh, the Chargers had the uh, the report that they might move to London, and okay. uh, uh, Dean had vehemently denied that. Uh, that letter, which says after the 24 season, which is five seasons at SoFi, after the fifth season at SoFi, within 30 days of the end of that season, I, Dean, will uh, retain an investment bank uh to begin the process of selling the team. Um, now, how do you interpret that? Is it to sell the whole team or is it to for evaluation of the team and to uh, so that Dia can sell her share? Um, it's just very interesting. Language is gonna be parsed. There are gonna be high dollar lawyers on each side and uh, it could get very messy. Do you understand? So a little bit where I was confused um, reading the article today in the LA Times was it described each of the children is owning a 15% share of the team. And then it said that the trust owned 36% mm-hmm. of the team and that they sort of uh, split the trust up evenly divided by four. So right. What is the percentage that the Spanos family actually owns in the team? And if they did sell the shares that they had in the trust, if they just essentially got the trust out there and they sold 36% to somebody else, the Spanos family would still be a majority owner, correct? Unless she wanted out, I guess, and her 15% went also, and then it was down right. to 45%. Right. Um, if you look at it, the as you said, the family trust, which is 36%, is divided by four among the children. So each child has 9% of that. And uh, if you add that to the 15% of the team that each child owns, then uh, the four siblings each own 24%, which leaves 4% left over to minority owners of the team. And so, um, yes, it's very complex. I'm not a... um, a not probate, a trust lawyer or trust yeah lawyer. i know yeah so uh, how that will divide up and and um you know i wish nathan fenno who actually wrote that story uh, uh could sort of explain that even better but uh, i do know that that each of the four children owns 
24%. However, Dean, to be controlling owner, needs to own at least 30% of the team. So um, the other two siblings have already come out and said they are throwing their support behind Dean. Now, if that support were to disappear, if they were to go over to Dia's side, uh, I think Dean would have a hard time remaining controlling owner. Um, but again, that's I'm, I'm out of my depth a little bit in terms right. of how that that breaks down. But when uh, when they moved to Los Angeles, they took on a six hundred and fifty million dollar relocation fee. Is mm-hmm. that part of the problem here? Well, uh, it's going to be part of the problem because that's going to be paid over ten years. They're financing that like you'd finance a house, um, and so that's going to be a recurring charge of sixty-five million dollars a year. Can the um, NFL make that go away if they wanted to? Do you know yeah, they, they've they've done a lot uh, for the Chargers to facilitate this move and and to make things easier on. On Dean, not the least of which is uh, having Stan Kroenke arrange a sweetheart deal um, that his his move was predicated on him providing that that home for the Chargers. So I think owners would be quite resistant to make that go away um, because the value of the Chargers, the intrinsic value of the Chargers, has risen uh, dramatically. Uh, in that move from San Diego to Los Angeles. So that's yes. really what you're paying for in the relocation fee. You're you're paying for the uh, increase in value that you're going to incur uh, or realize uh, in the move north. So to make that go away, I guess they could do whatever they want to do. Uh, it's a club that these aren't written in stone rules, but... Um, that's hard to believe that they would give up that money. And there's sure. also there's also a flip tax that that they uh, because they didn't want Stan or Dean to move to LA, realize that increased value in their team and turn around and sell it. Mm. And so uh, there's a tax as a disincentive uh, by the league to say um, X percent of the value of the team, if you sell within this window, you have to pay us. 10%, you pick a number, 10% of the value of the team. You have to pay us, uh, the league, or the other owners. <laughs> and so they could make that go away, potentially, if if they wanted to help facilitate a sale of the team. But, um, you know, so there are, there are a lot of built-in sort of booby traps to, to uh, selling the team or to moving up and you know, there's other expenses. It's just one free move for him. So I'm sure, yes, that factors in. Um, all those things factor in. Well, to your point, Forbes uh, valued the team at $2.6 billion this year. So the value of the team has gone up. And I assume that the new media deal would even bump that price up even further, correct? Do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a media deal's uh, nearly doubled. And uh, so the iron. Has, has never been hotter for NFL teams. And the price, I think, of the Chargers, the valuation of the Chargers, which you won't really know until you sell the franchise, right. but the valuation, according to those Forbes numbers, um, has tripled uh, in the last decade. So um, 
I think it's 2.6 and it was maybe 900 a decade ago. So, um, so they certainly, uh, you know, it's kind of funny to say, oh, they don't have the money when you think they've got a lot of money and, and uh, they're still incredibly wealthy. It's just that the wealth is in the team. It's not liquid. Right. Right. And if you had committed to sell the team in 2024, uh, taking the Dia Spanos argument that that in fact that letter was a commitment to sell the team, um, you know she's just saying, look, we're so in the hole in the family trust, we've got to accelerate this, and you've got to sell the team now because yeah. this trust is uh, incredibly burdensome. Burdensome this debt. From a from a team operation standpoint, to go back to that point. Does this impact the lack of liquidity? Does it impact an ability to pay free agents? I mean, we every year we look at free agency, we look at the salary cap, we think, oh, they have this much money to spend. Is <clears throat> is this a problem for the Chargers in terms of actually being able to pay out those types of free agents? Does this sort of uh, limit their ability to go spend to ma- to max out that salary cap money that they have available to them? I think it absolutely does. If you are to believe the argument that the owners made for so long, of why do we need a new stadium or why do we need, uh, why do we need suites in our stadium? Because it's going to be competitive disadvantage because we won't have that cash on hand uh, to pay signing bonuses. The big signing bonuses are, these aren't guaranteed contracts. And so people are players are trying to get as much money in hand as possible on the front end of these contracts. Um, and so if you have that liquidity, you're more able to pay out those bonuses and structure the contracts in such a way that, that, um, you know, that you still, you can still fit under the cap, but all that money is up front. And so, uh, so you would think that this would have a competitive effect on a team. Again, it was their own argument, uh, writ large owners as to why the why having a beautiful new stadium was important to the uh, competitiveness and linked directly to the competitiveness of the team where do you see this going do you do you see based on what you read today what you were able to find out on your own poking around do you do you see this headed towards a sale do you think that they'll figure out a way to hold on to the team? Do you think that the NFL will want one or the other to happen? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great question. And really, we're going to find out more in the coming days. But it's ominous. I think this is an ominous sign uh, if you're the Spanos family. Um, I don't think you can brush this aside and say that this is just uh, a person that will easily just pay off and and cash out and we'll buy their share of the team. Um, if it were that easy uh, to do that kind of stuff, it probably would have already happened. And, um, you know, because this is sort of a, a drastic step to take this public in this way. Um, and so my thought is, my, my view is this could be very messy and dragged out and uh, might ultimately wind up in the sale of the team. Um, it's a fairly small universe of people that can fo- afford an NFL franchise. But The article pointed the finger at uh, at Bezos. 
Well, there, as an uh, option. Well, no, actually, it wasn't the, the article. Filing, it was the actual the filing. filing. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, the filing. Uh, there's Steve Ballmer, uh, who obviously is uh, heavily invested, not only in LA but specifically in Inglewood. Um, and there's Joseph Sai, who the Alibaba co-founder, who is owns the uh, Brooklyn Nets, uh, lives in San Diego, and uh, and was part of the group that made a bid on the Carolina Panthers. So there's interest there, and he has the means to buy a team. So it's really uh, a compelling story uh, where it goes from here. Is Would it be a conflict of interest with Amazon, considering the Thursday night football deal now? That's a great question. Um, uh, I don't – at first blush, I don't think so, but that's a, again, that's a great question. And uh, but as I said, it's a very small universe of owners, and we saw the league do away with cross ownership um, and make it easier to welcome in more potential buyers um, to drive up the price, in part to drive up the price of franchises. Uh, so I think by creating um, artificial restrictions, they're shrinking the group of potential buyers. And I don't know that they want to do that um, because that sets the comps for the rest of the teams around the league and what teams are worth. So, but, but an excellent question and certainly one worth exploring. (laughs) I, I, I can't help but feel like, you know, reading the filing or reading the the description of the filing and, that you know Dean Spanos is just holding out hope that things are going to turn around. What an awful uh, bit of timing this all is because it does feel like it's starting to turn around for the actual football team. The Chargers feel like they've got their quarterback and that hope is here and to have to sell the team right now if that is where this ends up going when it looks like it might just be ready to hit you know, in the next right. couple of years, how frustrating that must be. Yeah. And you're kind of banging fans. on them for so long. Getting fans into SoFi Stadium. You haven't played uh, a game in SoFi Stadium in front of fans. And already this is starting to, this is percolating to the surface. And, and if you read the filing, it, uh, these read like longstanding issues that have accumulated over time, which makes you think, this could have been filed a year ago, but there was so much uncertainty and murkiness about the value of the franchise when not knowing what was going to happen with the pandemic or whether there was going to be a season. Um, it's it's kind of clear why it's filed now uh, within a couple of weeks of the uh, the new media deals and this being ostensibly a high watermark for the value of these franchises. So, but yes, there, there are a lot of things that are going right for the Chargers right now. There's probably never a good time for dirty laundry among family members to be aired out in public. Um, but this is particularly embarrassing and I'm sure frustrating. Sam Farmer from the LA Times. You're the best. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Also in the news this week, a lot of pretty big pro days. 
with highly publicized 40 times or 39 yard times. We'll never know. No laser. I watched some of the workouts on NFL Network looking to see who's where. That was always my first order of business when I went to a pro day to cover them, scanning the room to count coaches and general managers. I always think that that part's fun to try and connect the dots, though I'm not sure they're always connectable. But this week, there were two quarterbacks working out at the same time in Justin Fields and Mac Jones, and we had Lynch and Shanahan from the Niners in Tuscaloosa watching Jones along with Belichick and Sean Payton and Ryan Pace from the Bears. And then there was the contingent at Ohio State that included quite a few GMs. I think there were 10 there total. Cowboys sent Mike McCarthy, and then four teams sent both of their uh, general manager and their coach. That was the Jaguars, the Falcons, the Steelers, and the Panthers. All four of those teams need quarterbacks. Some more than others, right? Obviously, the Falcons and the Steelers have quarterbacks in place for next year, but they're looking toward the future. Jaguars, we think, are going to take Trevor Lawrence at one, but the Panthers are a team that I'm finding really interesting right now because they want to move on from Teddy Bridgewater, reportedly, but it's not really a given that they'll be able to considering their draft position at number eight. They strike me as a team that could get the guy they want in that spot, or they could get completely shut out in the draft, in which case, what would they do then? That's what Joe Person from The Athletic is here to tell us after this. Back now talking Panthers with Joe Person from The Athletic, who's covered Carolina for a decade now, knows that team as well as anyone, and wrote last week about their various options at this point at the quarterback position one of which was run it back with Teddy Bridgewater. That was the last option that you presented, Joe. Do you have the sense that those there in the Panthers building feel the same way, that that is an option but a last resort? It's felt like that all offseason. I mean, this is a team that was in on the Matthew Stafford trade. Uh, in, that's, in those sweepstakes, they included Teddy Bridgewater in their package, which obviously did not end up getting accepted by Detroit. Then they have had an entire entire offseason of, of at least privately expressing interest in a possible pursuit of Deshaun Watson. That all, of course, came to a screeching halt uh, about, you know, 10 days ago, two weeks ago. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there are other options, but it, it, the, the more you kind of see each of these kind of getting X'd out, it feels like Teddy Bridgewater could be an option here. And certainly, I mean, he's under contract that that already gives him sort of a leg up for 23 million bucks. But the idea was to upgrade from him try to trade him if that didn't work cut him and now who knows i mean I've, they, they've been to all the pro days of the top guys they are still they have not at what i've been told they have not closed the door on deshaun watson obviously they're monitoring that to see where it goes uh but teddy to your to your question Lindsay, is definitely still an option with regard to the Watson stuff, what do you think the Panthers would need to happen in order to move forward on that? Because it feels like it could drag on for a while, and it also feels like it could be a PR nightmare to bring him in at this point, at the very least. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think, I think we all know that this is not going to have any resolution before the draft, for instance. Maybe not before the season. I mean, I, it, you just don't know with, with uh, you know, we're up to what, 21 uh, lawsuits now, 21 alleged victims. 
And uh, then we had Watson's side uh, putting out uh, the, the, the testimony of 18 witnesses who said that they've had good experiences and appropriate experiences with him. So what would have to happen? You know, I don't know. Obviously, if he were somehow cleared, um, I don't know what a settlement, how that would affect, you know, if they did a global settlement, uh, which I know has been kind of bannered about. It's it's a terrible situation, obviously. I mean, I don't think the Panthers are ready. And, and frankly, I don't there's I think there are other teams that are still kind of sticking with it just because of the whole presumption of innocence t- type of thing. But you're right. I mean, you, you might get a quarterback, first of all, if you trade for him in July, let's say, mm-hmm. who's learning the offense on the run, who might be suspended for X number of games to start the season. And then, oh, by the way, like you said, good, you know, have fun with the PR backlash that's about to ensue. What about uh, the draft is obviously an option. We'll talk about the various ways that the Panthers could bring home a quarterback and which ones they might want to bring home ideally in just a second. But since we started down the Watson road, it feels natural to segue into uh, the Wilson path here. Um, What, how, how much do you feel like it feels like that door kind of feels like it closed when they said no to the bears offer considering all that the bears were offering. I don't know that the Panthers have a lot more than that to offer. What could they offer in order to make Wilson a legitimate option for them? It's tough. Like I think one of the reasons the bears offer kind of fell flat is because they're picking so low, you know, the, the Chicago is, and the Panthers are certainly, you know, at number eight are in a better position to offer a top 10 pick to Seattle uh, and to Pete Carroll. But as we've seen the last week or two with these pro days and San Francisco jockeying and getting up, you know, getting to number three, I don't know if number eight, I don't know if you're Seattle, if you could take that and say, okay, we're definitely getting our quarterback of the future to replace Russell Wilson, a potential right. Hall of Famer who we're giving up. So sure, maybe the fifth best quarterback in the draft will fall right. to us. That'll make our fans happy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> probably probably a long shot. And honestly, Lindsay, the one of the only reasons, uh, the the main reason I included Russell Wilson is because of Scott Fitter, the new GM here, his ties. I mean, he had two decades in Seattle, knows John Snyder very well, was his sort of right-hand man, obviously knows Pete Carroll. So there is that built-in rapport if they could, uh, if the Russell Wilson situation, for instance, got untenable, kind of like we've seen with Watson in Houston. And I don't know that it's going that direction. Yeah, the lines of communication could be open, but probably not. It feels more likely that the quarterback is somebody that they'll have to find a way to get in the draft. And there's certainly an option to sit at eight and hope that, you know, quarterback number five falls to them. Um, I don't know that that's the best option if, if, cause that sort of requires you to take whichever quarterback falls in that scenario and hope that that's the right quarterback for you, which is not the ideal way to be using a high draft pick or choosing a quarterback for the future of your franchise. But also there's no guarantee that somebody will fall at eight. Cause there's so many quarterback needy teams they could move up. So, um, 
my my first question to you regarding that is how the Niners, Dolphins, Eagles trade changed things for the Panthers potentially when they moved up there uh, to get their guy at number three. What ultimately did that mean for Carolina? Do you think? Well, as you said, it kind of the trickle down effect was to to your point. You you now you've got one more very good quarterback off the board before you pick. Um, if there is a silver lining and, and we've seen Kyle Shanahan be open about, uh, you know, not, not no smokescreen here. We're at three. I don't have anything to hide. If that guy is Mac Jones, I think that could put play into the Panthers uh, wheelhouse. They spent a week with Mac Jones at the senior bowl back in January. I left that, that week in mobile feeling like the Panthers were not huge Mac Jones fans, uh, at least not at number eight. Um, so why, why is that? You know, I don't know. That was any one thing. I think it's, it, it's kind of the knock that we've all heard on Mac Jones. There were questions about the athleticism, obviously that they loved his character and his makeup. And, you know, I think all those boxes certainly were checked and then some, but I think it was just more from a standpoint of, of making all the throws required in this, in this offense and so forth. I don't know. Again, I don't know that they necessarily ruled it out, but that was my sense. They were not in love with Mac Jones coming out of mobile. So if the Niners take him, and then someone like a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields falls, then that's a different conversation. And the, the Panthers, uh, you know, their interest definitely could be piqued. Well, it's interesting looking at the way that the draft falls out, right? Because you've got, so those first three teams, and we know that they're all going to take quarterbacks, or at least it looks like that, you know, the Jets are going to take Zach Wilson. And then uh, number three, the Niners have made it clear that they're going to take a quarterback. So then you've got uh, the Falcons at four, and we think that they will probably take a quarterback, though there are um, options for them, I guess, uh, some talk that they could potentially take Kyle Pitts or they could take an edge rusher or they could, I mean, there's a variety of different directions that they could go in there. And then you've got Cincinnati at five and they're not going to take a quarterback. And then you've got Miami after that. And it seems like they are locked into not taking a quarterback after their moves last week. And then Detroit at number seven, I'm not a hundred percent guaranteed that, uh, or convinced rather that, that Detroit wouldn't take a quarterback of the future, um, to potentially move on from Jared Goff down the road. But I think maybe more concerning would be whether or not one of these teams moves up ahead of the Panthers at number eight. Do you think that they are prepared to go up and get somebody if the board were to fall in such a way where it looks like Trey Lance or Justin Fields were going to be available past that third pick? Uh, or, or what is your presumption about how they would handle that situation based on what you know about Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer? Well, I think it's still to be determined. Uh, I think they're, you know, they just were at Fields Pro Day this week. Uh, as I said, they were, you know, at Zach Wilson's last week, but he's not going to be an option. Here's what I think this team has a lot of other holes. There is no more important hole, as we all know, more important position than quarterback. And who knows if you're going to be picking in the top 10 every year. If you're Matt Rule or Scott Fitterer, you certainly hope you're not. And so that can weigh in. And Fitterer was, when, when he was hired here, 
you know this, Lindsay, Seattle has long for the last 10 years had a history of trading back mm-hmm. in the first round or out of the first round because they've been picking late. Uh, they, you know, they've been a playoff team just about every year picking in the 20s. Fitter said this is a different situation. You don't just want to willy-nilly trade out of the top 10. I mean, it's got to be the right situation. So to your point about trading up, that makes a lot of sense. If, if as you said, if one of these guys you're determined or you're convinced that Trey Lance or Justin Fields is your guy and you're worried about Denver or New England or somebody coming up ahead of you. All that said, I think I don't my sense right now is, you know, as we as we tape this is that they are going to ultimately stay put and maybe address left tackle Penny Sewell, perhaps. I think they would love it if Kyle Pitts were to fall to him. I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to make it all the way to eight. He is, you know, it, we, we, we can do a whole yeah. segment about that guy's potential uh, or corner. Like this team needs a really good cornerstone cornerback. And I, they were at Patrick Sertain's pro day. Uh, they went down to uh, Horn's pro day at South Carolina. They like him a lot. And I, I talked to a personnel guy this week that thinks Horn is actually going to be picked higher than he's being projected right now. So lots of different directions they can go. But, I mean, there's a reason that that these while we're talking about quarterback because they've got to get that right uh, sometime very soon. So you're saying if the quarterback isn't available rather than move up and try and put themselves in a position to be guaranteed to get a quarterback, you think they just stay at eight? And if the guy falls, then the guy falls. And if not, they take one of these other positions there. It's kind of the sense I've been getting lately, but these things change. I mean, we, we, we talked about how the Deshaun Watson situation changed. I mean, Mac Jones is, and we still don't know that he's going to be the third pick, but, but if all he is, the, that changed everything. I know. I know. And I was just going to say like all of the, the run up to this point in the pre-draft talks were, is Mac Jones a first round talent? He's a late round, you know, that. Right. It, so things can change, but and, and not trying to be diplomatic, but right now, yes, I think they would sit tight and know they would get a very good player at eight. And maybe it's their left tackle that they can, first of all, they have had like eight different starting left tackles since Jordan gross retired after the 2013 season, that was a long time ago. So addressing that position wouldn't be the worst thing. Do you have a sense of which of Fields or Lance? Like which one, based on what you know about Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer, and I guess specifically Matt Rule and what he wants for his offense, would one of them be a better fit than the other in your mind? That's a great question. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it feels like you talk to personnel people around the league and they think Lance has the most upside maybe, but I, you know, I don't know. So some of the fields um, criticisms of late have harkened back to me sounding like a lot of the things I heard about Cam Newton uh, 10, 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like, and I'm not trying to make it a race thing. It's just, it seemed like, you know, Un- anonymous scout questioning yep. his work ethic and you know the the pe- people 10 years ago were trying to talk marty herney into taking blaine gabbert and good thing he didn't i mean 
for whatever you want to say about Cam Newton, he did win an MVP and take the Panthers to a Super Bowl. So I just, I, I don't know. It, it's a great question where they would be on Lance versus Fields. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think Fields is probably the guy, if one of those falls to eight, I, just based on some of this rhetoric, you wonder if it would be Fields rather than Lance. How, how would you describe the qualities and traits that you think a quarterback would need to have in a Matt Rule offense? Well, quick decision making. There's a, it's a, you know, it's not exactly a rhythm offense like we've seen others, but there's a lot of that with with Joe Brady's offense. Um, you say this about any offense, but they want somebody who is going to come up big in the clutch. This is a team you've heard the stat. They were 0-8 last year when Teddy Bridgewater had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to go tie or win it. And one all on Teddy. Like that stat, I mean, it it got slung onto his shoulders, but Joe Brady deserves some of the the blame for that. Uh, Joey Sly, their kicker in the Minnesota game, Teddy's homecoming. He gets them in position for like a 53-yard field goal at the end of the game. Long kick, but in an indoor stadium as that was in Minnesota, that's close to a chip shot. Joey Slide misses it. But then other times, Teddy, you know, just dropped the ball or threw a pick or took a sack he couldn't take, and they went 0-8 when they had a chance, you know, basically in crunch time. So... Those are characteristics. I don't know how you you measure them. Uh, David Tepper, their owner, is a very analytical guy, so he probably has people in their analytics department crunching the numbers on Trey Lance in the fourth quarter, Justin Fields in the last two minutes, that kind of thing, uh, because that was a big-time failing for this offense last year. Tepper's big into analytics? Tapper's huge in the analytics. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it obviously followed him over from the, the hedge fund side of things as he built his $13 billion fortune. Um, he has really, and I think it's part of It's not the reason Ron Rivera got fired, but I, I think Ron was a little slow to come to that party and listen, Ron Rivera, you can't argue with his success or track record. But um, Tepper really has turned around the scouting department and, and, and re- really, they, of course, they still have their, their traditional scouts, but they have an analytics department, like all these teams do, working alongside of them. Well, some of them utilize that analytics department more than others. It all feels so modern there in Carolina. So the other option here for quarterback, right, if it doesn't work out to draft somebody at eight is to then make a trade for somebody, uh, another veteran that is out there still like a Garoppolo though. Personally, that doesn't totally make sense to me based on what the Niners said in their press conference on Monday in terms of wanting him to be around. It makes sense to me that they actually would want him to be around with a team that can maybe make a run this year. You're not going to hand that over to a rookie quarterback that has question marks attached to it, regardless of what you think that that quarterback will mean to your franchise in the future. It just feels so risky. And, and then who's your backup if he gets hurt, right? Like you just throw the whole season away after last year and the injuries that they had. 
Um, anyways, that's my rant on that. But Garoppolo could be an option for them to to target. Uh, and then also Darnold. Do you have any sense of how the people in the building there feel about Darnold, whether that would be an option for them? I think they're definitely looking at it. Uh, and I think they're, you know, I, I don't know how seriously. I mean, I think they're doing their due diligence just like they are with these drafted guys, so the guys in the draft. Um, here's the thing. You're going to bring Sam Darnold in, and you've kind of got that fifth-year option looming over you. I don't think, you know, I don't think they would exercise that. I mean, that's a lot of money. I think it's 18 million. I think that's a lot of money on a guy that may be the answer. Yeah. And so, so then you need need to see in it. You need to see it first. And so then, so here's, so then, then the question is, is it worth it? You're bringing in, it almost feels like you're spinning your wheels a little bit. You're bringing in a guy. I, I understand it's on a prove it deal. But he's basically got one year, and then you've got to, then you've got to pay him, like really pay him, because uh, yeah. you've, you've you've just declined the or fifth year move option. on, and at least now you have an answer, right? You could move on to it in next year's draft. If it doesn't work out, you might be drafting high enough to get a quarterback next year too. Like that just might be you don't want to, but might be the way it pans out. You might be drafting Sam Howe, which people down here in the Carolinas would be very excited about. Or whoever else emerges. It feels like every year we're always like, this is the year you got to go get a quarterback. It's the best class ever. Well, how many of these guys were we talking about at this time last year? There's always guys that emerge in that final season of college who spring Mm -hmm. to the top of Mm -hmm. the draft board. So I don't particularly enjoy that conversation about like, now, 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 you have to. Um, Going back to the conversation, you brought up, the the conversation that's being had right now about Justin Fields and it's kind of brought up some conversations that we've had for a number of years going back to Cam Newton and further back than that some sort of tropes or stereotypes if you will um and you're referring to I'll just put a name to it not to drag him through this but obviously it's you know some of the things that Dan Orlovsky said that he was repeating they were not his opinions but he's repeating what he has been told by people uh, about why Justin Fields might be dropping and it had to do with work ethic and being the, you know, last in the building and the first one out and that type of stuff. And it's it's work ethic and character stuff that we've heard a lot attached to African-American quarterbacks. Um, my question for you is, as a reporter, if that's what you're hearing from sources, that they think about somebody, how do you handle that information in terms of turning it around to your audience so that you are communicating what you're hearing about the athletes. If you feel like that might actually affect their placement in the draft, because then it is relevant, right? Like if there's my thing about the Dan Orlovsky stuff is it could have been phrased differently. Potentially there could have been a disclaimer on the back end about the fact that we've heard this a lot in the past. And sometimes it hasn't panned out to be true, but also you know, it's a tough spot. You're literally asked, why might he be dropping? And this is literally what you're hearing. So if this is what's being talked about inside NFL buildings, then it becomes tricky about how to then, you can't just edit it and not tell people and let it be a question that hangs out there, right? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, first of all, 
I was out of pockets, but I think you, you might, I think Orlowski may have kind of done a disclaimer after the fact. Yeah. He got, said he's got, reached out to some other people since then. And he's okay. heard stories that are totally the opposite of that, that he is a really hard worker and people who totally vouched for that side of him. But it goes back to the point that he was, what he yes. was saying originally was not that that's what he thinks. It's that right. he was hearing from people that this was their opinion about him. And, and people say things at this time of year for a number of different reasons, right? Because they want somebody to be defamed in a way where they might actually end up falling to them. I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, bad reasons that somebody would say something negative about somebody at this time of year. This one obviously touched a nerve because it hits on a stereotype that has not right. been accurate and is very harmful. Um, but I am curious about how you would how you would handle it in terms of presenting the information. Cause I think it's a tricky spot for a reporter. I think so too. And I guess I would say that balance, like when we get into journalism, like journalism 101, like try to offer both sides a chance to tell their side of the story. Right. And I, as you were asking and framing that question, I was thinking about how other things that that cause a prospect's uh, stock to drop and all the other things, most of the other things are measurable, like we can mm -hmm. uh, accuracy, um, height and weight, um, speed, uh, the the shuttle drill, if we think a guy lacks quickness. And so some of that balance is, you know, you don't necessarily have to go <laughs> ask the other side, like, is, is Zach Wilson is he really fast? six? Is he six right. three? Um, yeah. This is tricky. And so, and you're right. I mean, it, it is, it is newsworthy if that's what's causing his stock to drop. But I think on something so sensitive, as something like this and the stereotypes that that kind of go along with it i think you are are absolutely indebted to or, or required to go ask ryan day go ask justin fields coach uh, at, in conyers georgia about his work ethic and that sort of thing before you put something like that and and again not to drag him through the mud we've seen these kind of things year after year mm -hmm. it just happens it just happened to be uh damn this year yeah um you know how many people did go to bo callahan's birthday party these are questions that have to be answered well draft day movie reference um for those of you to pick <laughs> up on that um <laughs> okay so Quarterback situation, I think we flushed out all the various options. Is there anything that we didn't touch on there? Oh, you didn't ask me about P.J. Walker or Will Greer, who are currently on the roster. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. He says with I a mean, chuckle. <laughs> uh, but you, you know what? I, I don't want to dump on those guys. They're they're good dudes. I, I, I wish for a story writer's sake that the Will Greer uh, – had, had worked out a little better. I mean, he's the Charlotte kid. Uh, his dad is a well-known coach here in Charlotte. And, you know, so it, sometimes it, it happens later on for some of these guys, but it hasn't yet for Will Greer, who was a uh, third-round pick just a couple of years ago. What do, you, what do you think are the expectations for this team if they are able to plug a quarterback in there that they're excited about? If they pull that rabbit out of the hat, are the Panthers going to be any good? 
I guess it depends on who the quarterback is, but yeah, they, they have pieces. They really do. I mean, look, if, if McCaffrey comes back and yes, we assume he stays healthy like he had every year until last year, um, left tackle, as I mentioned earlier, is still kind of an issue, but Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, uh, they they picked up Dan Arnold, who's kind of a, I think a sneaky decent signing. He's I mean he's six six and runs. He doesn't run like Kyle Pitts. I don't know why he's... they didn't use him in Arizona because they talked about him so much in Arizona. Like they loved Dan Arnold, they loved him, and then they didn't use him. So I felt very misdirected and misguided as a fantasy football uh, manager. <laughs> <laughs> well, I steered a lot of people wrong on the Ian Thomas uh, fantasy football tips because Way to go. he looked like the guy. I mean, he just he was waiting his turn behind Greg Greg Olson and this offense. Joe Brady, you know, threw to uh, to to Randy Moss's kid all the time at LSU with Joe Burrow, but it didn't work out for Ian Thomas. But um, I Kyle Pitts, I you know, I, I, I don't want to keep you know mentioning that guy's name because I really do not think he's gonna be there at eight. But you love he, it, huh? Oh, I get the sense I, that you would love that for that offense. I think that'd be great. I mean, I think it makes Teddy Bridgewater a better quarterback. Uh if if he's still the guy, I, I think it, it it we talk a lot here in Charlotte, and I'm sure you do do about Christian McCaffrey being a matchup problem. How about you have McCaffrey flexed out on one side of the formation and Kyle Pitts flexed out on the other. In addition to DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, like talk about matchup hell. Like that's it, right? That take a picture. That's what it looks like. That does sound fun. Okay. Now we just need to plug in our quarterback. Yeah. All right. Joe person. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your uh, help navigating this road. We'll see what happens on draft day. I appreciate it. And you can find Joe on Twitter at Joseph Person and Sam Farmer at LA Times Farmer. And a big thank you to both of them for coming on. Also, a big thank you to those of you at home listening. If you wouldn't mind taking a minute to rate and review the show, I'm told that that's helpful in this line of work. So do me a solid, hit the five, and then let's meet back here on Tuesday with another NFL Roadshow. Have a great weekend, everybody. 